Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. And our message today is entitled, The Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. This is the Lord's word. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, by, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we, will, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, 
They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from you, from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they went off, they went, they, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Please say hello to each other once again. Look around you, to the left of you, to the right of you, behind you. It truly is a blessing to gather together as God's people. I do not want you to take this for granted. As, as Phil so aptly prayed in the morning, that gathering together is a miracle. God has called you here by his spirit that we may worship him. We may worship him with true words. We worship him with true emotion. And all of that because that spirit of God dwells and lives amongst us. We worship God by faith and faith alone. I do not know what type of week you had. You yourselves might have had a, a great week. You might have had a very difficult week. You might have had a week where you really did see God's hand. You might have had a week where you did not see God's hand as clearly. But we come here not because of what we are able to see day by day. We come here knowing that God is always and ever present. And whether we see him or not personally, day by day or hour by hour, by our past experiences, by the faith he has given to us and the promises in scripture, we know that he's worthy to be worshiped. So praise be to God and praise be to our Lord for gathering us here once again to worship him. As we go through the book of Acts, we come back to this reoccurring theme. 
And this reoccurring theme, you may think, is, well, it's tiresome now, Pastor Young. It's, it's tiresome. We have heard the same message or the same type of message week to week to, to an extent. Let's move on from what we already know, and let's continue to, to build on what God is teaching us. But I dare say there's wisdom in allowing God himself to unfold his story and to unfold the importance of this doctrine that we are saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone. If God himself has purported to give us in the book of Acts this long historical account of why it is that all, that Jesus and Jesus alone saves, then there's a lesson to be learned. Because it's not simply the historical church that needs to come back to these truths over and over again. But it's us as individuals as well. We know that we are loathed by Christ. We know that we are saved by Jesus alone. We know that we need to confess our sins to him. But all of us here, by God's grace, is learning a particular part of his great salvation in our own lives. And I pray that you, during this time, or you, as you walk through the parks, can identify, God, what is it that you're teaching me? And why is it taking me so long to learn? But praise be to you, God, for you've demonstrated in your love for the church and your love for me, your love for my brother, your love for my sister, that you are patient, that you are loving, that you have demonstrated to me that I belong to you, not by my works, not by how far I progress according to my own ideals, but that I belong to you because you have chosen me and you love me. Acts chapter 15 demonstrates this love to the church as a whole. This council in Jerusalem is about 30, 35 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. That's longer than some of you guys have been alive. 30, 35 years later, the church has grown. During this time in, in Acts 15, we, the, the three chapters before, we saw Paul and Barnabas making their, their first missionary trip, a short little loop to spread the good news to all the people. It's at Antioch themselves where they sort of established sort of a, 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 a beachhead for the gospel amongst the Gentiles. 
It is there that they were first called Christians, the, the church at Antioch. And as Paul and Barnabas continue to share the gospel, as the apostles and some other disciples continue to share the gospel, we see that God's spirit is working. We see that the same spirit that fell upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost, that fell upon the Jewish Christians, it's the same spirit that is falling upon all Gentiles, all people who simply proclaim the word of the Lord, who accept Jesus as their Savior. We also continue to see that people are being martyred for their faith, that opposition to the truth of the gospel continues to grow. And in the midst of this maelstrom, in the midst of what looks chaotic to the church, chaotic to his people, we see that the one thing that is assured and steady is the gospel itself. That all have sinned and fall short of his glory. That salvation is offered to all. That all you need to do is repent of your sins and call upon the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, in your own lives today, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot. Some of you are students. There's, there's a lot of demands on you. Some of you are, are married with, with children. Some of you are married and, and, and trying to figure out their next stages of life. There's, there's a lot of things going on. I do not know, you do not know where God is going to place you. But we do know that Lord will be faithful and he will place you somewhere. Not for your own desires, but he will place you in a place where you can grow in your faith. And you see what's happening in the early church for us as CCPC, as a church as a whole, and as individuals. The best kind of difficulties to have in your life, the best kind of suffering to have in your life is that which brings you back to the gospel of Christ. Let me say that again. The, the best kind of life that you can live, the best kind of uh, difficulties and stress, the best type of suffering that you can suffer, the best type of chaos that you can have in your life around you, it's the chaos that always drives you back to the gospel. Chaos that drives you back to yourself just creates more stress, creates more uncertainty, 
creates more opportunities for for you to create idols of escape. But those things that we wrestle for, for the glory of God, they always just drive you back to the gospel itself and to Jesus himself. And so we as individuals, we as a church, we have to fight the right fight. We have to have the right sufferings. We have to to engage in the right conversations. We have to feel the right feelings. We have to do so so that the remedy, which is Christ and Christ alone, that when it befits us, when it comes to us, it heals. If you're a doctor or you're a pharmacist and you have this one medication, but it's a very specific medication, it heals only disease X. Well, if you don't fit disease X, this medicine can't help you. In fact, that medicine is completely useless to you. You just look at it and say, well, that's not what I need. But for the church and for us as believers, if I say to you that the answer really is Christ in all things, if I say to you that the answer is that that all the humanity needs Christ, if we look at that and say, that's not what my own diagnosis is, uh, that Christ's it's not going to look like someone or something that can not only help you, but can heal you. We as God's people need to always come back to answer the question, is Jesus enough? And if you can't answer yes, at the very least, brothers and sisters, lament that you can't answer yes and ask God to help you to answer yes. Now, why do I start here with all of this? That's because this council in Acts chapter 15 might be one of the most boring meetings in the world. This is the first council ever of the church. This is the first place where the apostles and the elders have gathered together to talk about a theological issue. This is the first time they've gathered together where there has been back and forth And this is the first council where they actually issued a decree, an official decree. It's not scripture, but an official decree about their findings. Now, we belong to the Presbyterian denomination. 
And one of the beautiful things about being Presbyterians is that we have elders or pastors. And what's different, different about a Presbyterian church than a Baptist church is this. Now, you might not see this growing up in your churches, but usually when the church is, is uh, established, you, you form, a, uh, you have not only the pastor, but you have elders. And these elders are in charge of running the local church. And they have authority over the local church. Now that in itself, we, we can all sort of say, okay, I, I track with that. That's great. What's the difference between a Presbyterian church that has elders and a Baptist church that has elders, a congregational church that has elders, and even a Methodist church that has elders? That's all the same thing, right? They're, they're there to basically run their local congregation to make sure that people are fed with the gospel, to make sure they, they grow together. Here's the big difference. In our denomination, once you become a teaching elder or a ruling elder, your duty is not only to your congregation, but your duty is to the presbytery, and your duty is to the de denomination. What do I mean by that? Is that when there's a church here in Peachtree Corners, another church in Los Angeles, another church uh, through our missions agency um, around the world, and an issue comes up, who decides? The elders are called together, just like here. And when you're an elder at this church, when you're a teaching elder like me, and an issue comes up that needs to be discussed, well, what do you do? You, we, you call a presbytery, you call a council, a presbytery, and they gather together and they debate. And as they debate, they, they ask the Lord for wisdom. As they debate, they look at Scripture. And after they come to a consensus, a conclusion, they issue a decree. And we pray that that, that decree that would be, would be pleasing to God and pleasing to our congregation, to pleasing um, um, to God and pleasing to the, the, to the people as well. And this is what makes us different from a congregational or a Baptist church. When we have an elder here, that elder does not simply belong to our church. It belongs to the presbytery, and it belongs to our general assembly. Because our desire as God's people is the purity of the entire church, the purity that the gospel will continue to go forward from this point on until the Lord's return. This is the council. And so the, the people are, are, are wondering, what is this? What are they going to decide? In Jerusalem, you had James and Peter. We don't know exactly who was the leader at the church in Jerusalem, but James and Peter were, were sort of the, the two head guys that were there. And they came, and Paul and Barnabas were doing 
the missionary work came back. And they wanted to decide, they wanted to decide the, the issue once and for all. Do you need to become circumcised and follow the laws of Moses before you can be saved? Is that necessary? Because there are these Jewish Christians going around to, to the Gentiles and saying, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep all these dietary laws. You need to keep the law of Moses. Then, after you do that, then you can come to know Christ. And there was debate back and forth about this issue. Now again, this could be the most boring thing for some of you right now. We have a presbytery meeting coming up. And I'll invite all of you to come. But most of you would say, that's okay. You guys do that. I need to do my own thing. But I urge you as Presbyterians, when, when I go to these meetings and there are issues that need to be addressed, you pray. The purity gospel can last. Because if they didn't have this meeting, what would happen? Each of these churches would just do what they decide, what, what they thought was best. But the apostles and the elders got together and they realized that by Peter's declaration and Paul and Barnabas' declaration that all one had needed all one had needed to do is believe in the gospel of Christ. They presented evidence to them and say, look at these Gentiles. The same spirit that rested upon you guys is the same spirit that rested upon them. We have the same evidence. Their declaration of Jesus as their Savior, repentance, and, and the way they walk, it's the same fruit that we see over here. How can you dare say that you, we, we, we need to, to follow the law of Moses? How dare you say that we need to be circumcised? And the fight was vicious. But they came to one accord that this is true. Praise be to God. For that same gospel is the gospel you receive right now. You do not need to, need to do X, Y, and Z to come to faith in Christ. All you need to do is declare yourself a sinner before the Lord. You do not need a, an intermediary, a priest, to bestow upon you the grace of Jesus. You receive it immediately, without mediation, through the Spirit and through the Word. Just as the Gentiles did in the book of Acts, just like the Jews did in the book of Acts. By God's grace and by God's grace alone. And so afterwards, they, 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 they agreed and they issued a decree. Think about that. They, they issued a letter to send to the churches about what they had decided. They said, well, you're saved by grace and grace alone. But there are a couple of things. One is, is we want to charge the people 
to be pure in their sexuality and not to eat food that has been um, offered to idols. Okay. And so the, the first one sort of we, we can understand. It's like during the, this time, sexuality was, was, was pretty free. It's sort of like it is now. It's like sex was, was everywhere. And so they were telling people, listen, let's live according to what God has wanted for us. To be pure in our bodies before the Lord. The second is, let's not eat food that's been offered up to other idols. Let's keep ourselves pure before the Lord. But you don't need to follow the law of Moses or, or circumcise to come to Christ. And as they received this letter, especially the church of Antioch, they all rejoiced. They all rejoiced because they, they realized that their faith was genuine. Their faith was genuine. They knew that these apostles knew Jesus face to face. They knew that these apostles had learned from Christ himself. And to have that mark and saying that you, your faith and your expression is true, they rejoiced in the Lord. And I say that to all of you. When you have the Spirit in you, and the expression of your, your faith is simply, I trust in Jesus even as I continue to sin in the Lord. I trust that he will forgive me and I, and I, will, I will endeavor to live my life as pure as I can for the sake of God, for what he's done for me. then we as a church together can say, you know Jesus, you know Jesus, you know Jesus, you know Jesus. Live accordingly now. There was a time a lot of people would look at church membership and think of it as something very onerous. There are churches that have a list of things that you need to do to become a member. There are churches who actually want written testimonies from other people about how you have grown in the Lord in order for you to become a member of a church. And these lists often are stuff like, well, he or she still needs to work on X, Y, and Z. Or he or she still seems to be living in sin in X, Y, and Z. And because of that, they're rejected as members. Think about that. If the criteria was that we need to live a certain lifestyle perfectly, then none of us could become members. but it's simple here at CCPC. The most difficult thing already is this, being able to repent of your sins before the Lord. That's already a miracle. And to say that I trust in him, that's already a miracle. 
and to say that I want to belong to a church that continues to want to grow in, 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 in sanctity towards the Lord. That's already a miracle. How we get there, what the time frame is in getting there, that's up to the Lord. But you yourself and us, we, we, we declare to ourselves that this is the path that we are going. Lastly, in this edict, this edict itself, actually, it's not part of Scripture. And in fact, we see that this edict actually changes later on. Now, if you're an astute reader of the Scriptures, you could probably heard you, you could probably know that you probably sort of could figure it out when I said that, you know, they said, do not eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. You might think of yourself, didn't Paul say that's okay to eat food that is sacrificed to idols? Because idols are not real gods. They're, they're worthless things. But that it's okay to eat of them. But perhaps if you're with a weaker brother, who thinks that if I eat this, I'm going to dirty myself, that I shouldn't eat of it, but that overall it's okay to eat it, well, you would be right. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says, do all things for the glory of God, that it's okay to eat food that's offered to idols. It's okay. But here it says not to. And this is something that I want to impress upon you. That the only basis of authority for the church of Christ is scripture and scripture itself. It's the Bible and the Bible itself. Now, I, we don't know whether when Paul was there, Paul was like, you know what, I, don't, I think it's okay to eat food from, from idols, but you know what? Let's not push it. We've got, we've got what we've wanted, and let's wait for the next council. Or if it simply wasn't an issue yet, a huge issue yet, and Paul was waiting for this to crystallize in his mind by the Spirit in order to write this down in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to the church in Corinth. We don't know. But what we do know is that in the end, it did become a part of Scripture. And in the end, it did become a part of our understanding of the gospel. That there is nothing that is unclean that comes from without. Everything that's unclean just comes from within. And once again, it's the gospel and the gospel that saves. And so even when we as a church and, and as, 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 a, as a presbytery, and even as we as individuals try to figure out how to live culturally in a way that, that, that honors God, we will make some errors here and there. But that's okay. As long as what's first is first. And this is what the church continues to do and accomplish. Acts chapter 15. What, proceed, what, what looks like chaos in the early church 
James and Peter teaching what seems like one thing in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas teaching another thing amongst the Gentiles. Judaizers or Jewish Christians teaching a third thing somewhere else. And other factions teaching various things about God and Christ himself. It looks chaotic. But the church continued to hold on to the truth that Christ and Christ alone saves. Two things in practice. Actually, they're one thing, but two, two aspects of it. Be patient with yourself and be patient with the church as we continue to grow in the faith, to grow in our faith. Be patient with yourself and be patient with the church. We don't come into maturity overnight. But labor together, moment by moment, day by day. Labor for the right things that when you hear that the answer is, we need to stick to Christ and the gospel, that you can nod your head and say, that's exactly what I need to hear. And when we do so, the Lord will be magnified. I love this church. And I think all of you who are members here, I know that you love this church. We've not been around that long. But even in the few years that we've been here, step by step, moment by moment, we fought the right fights. And we've seen God's grace answer us because of it. Let us not lose our way. Let us not look for the next fad. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus alone is the one who has saved you. And Jesus alone will bring all of us to glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see, Lord, in Scripture that sometimes it's variations on the theme. And we often think that this variation on the theme is just, well, it's, it's too repetitive. But Lord, we forget that there is only one reality. That's you. There are not fictional realities. There's only one of each and every one of us as well, Lord God. No matter how much we, we think that we're changing or growing, or no matter how much we think that we're different than we were three, four years ago, in many ways, we, in, in, in the most important ways, we still are who we are. We know, Lord, that there is only one reason for that. It's because you made us and you saved us. And the only thing that's important in our lives is our relationship with you and our relationship with our brothers and sisters in our Christ and our, and our eagerness, Lord, to grow in our faith together. 
For there will be suffering, there will be challenges, but there will also be much, much rejoicing and much, much peace. And so, Lord God, help us as a church to gather our senses together again, Lord. To laugh at ourselves, Lord, when we, when we chase after idols. To laugh after the insanity of trusting ourselves rather than trusting you. And help us, Lord God, to do so, to, 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 to follow you all the days of our lives that we may prove you to be our God and prove to the world that Jesus has resurrected from the dead and prove to the world that you, God, will return in all glory. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.